0: Section Nine of the Charwoman's Daughter by James Stevens, Chapters Seventeen and Eighteen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Seventeen. Early on the following morning, Mary Make-Believe awakened with a start. She felt as if someone had called her, and lay for a few moments to see had her mother spoken. But her mother was still asleep. Her slumber was at all times almost as energetic as her waking hours. She twisted constantly, and moved her hands, and spoke ramblingly. Odd interjections, such as, Ah, well, no matter, certainly not, and indeed, I." Shot from her lips like bullets, and at intervals a sarcastic sniff fretted or astonished her bedfellow into wakefulness. But now, as she lay, none of these strenuous ejaculations were audible. Sighs only, weighty and deep drawn and very tired, broke on her lips and lapsed sadly into the desolate room. Mary make-believe lay for a time wondering idly what had awakened her so completely for her eyes were wide open and every vestige of sleep was gone from her brain and then she remembered that on this morning and for the first time in her life she had to go to work that knowledge had gone to bed with her and had awakened her with an imperious urgency In an instant she sprang out of bed, huddled on sufficient clothing for warmth, and set about lighting the fire. She was far too early awake, but could not compose herself to lie for another moment in bed. She did not at all welcome the idea of going to work, but the interest attaching to a new thing, the freshness which vitalizes for a time even the dreariest undertaking, prevented her from rueing with any bitterness her first day's work to a young person every work is an adventure and anything which changes the usual current of life is welcome the fire also went with her in quite a short time the flames had gathered to a blaze and matured and concentrated to the glowing redness of perfect combustion then when the smoke had disappeared with the flames she put on the saucepan of water quickly the saucepan boiled and she wet the tea she cut the bread into slices put a spoonful of condensed milk into each cup and awakened her mother all through the breakfast her mother advised her on the doing of her work she cautioned her daughter when scrubbing woodwork always to scrub against the grain for this gave a greater purchase to the brush and removed the dirt twice as quickly as the seemingly easy opposite movement she told her never to save soap little soap meant much rubbing and advised that she should scrub two minutes with one hand and then two minutes with the other hand and she was urgent on the necessity of thoroughness in the wringing out of one's floor-cloth because a dry floor-cloth takes up twice as much water as a wet one and thus lightens labor also she advised mary to change her positions as frequently as possible to avoid cramp when scrubbing and to kneel up or stand up when wringing her cloths as this would give her a rest and the change of movement would relieve her very greatly and above all to take her time about the business because haste seldom resulted in clean work and was never appreciated by one's employer Before going out, Mary Make-Believe had to arrange for someone to look after her mother during the day. This is an arrangement which, among poor people, is never difficult of accomplishment. The first to whom she applied was the laboring man's wife in the next room. She was a vast woman with six children and a laugh like the rolling of a great wind, and when Mary Make-Believe advanced her request, she shook six children off like her toys and came out on the landing. "'Run off to your work now, honey,' said she, "'and let you be easy in your mind about your mother, "'for I'll go up to her this minute, "'and when I'm not there myself, "'I'll leave one of the children with her "'to call me if she wants anything. "'And don't you be fretting at all, God help you, "'for she'll be as safe and as comfortable with me "'as if she was in Jervis Street Hospital "'or the Rotunda itself. "'What's wrong with her now? "'Is it a pain in her head she has?' Or a sick stomach, God help her. Mary explained briefly, and as she went down the stairs she saw the big woman going into her mother's room. She had not been out in the streets so early before, and had never known the wonder and beauty of the sun in the early morning. The streets were almost deserted, and the sunlight, a most delicate and nearly colorless radiance, fell gently on the long, silent path missing the customary throng of people and traffic she seemed almost in a strange country and had to look twice for turnings which she could easily have found with her eyes shut the shutters were up in all the shops and the blinds were down in most of the windows now and again a milk-cart came clattering and rattling down a street and now and again a big red-painted baker's-cart dashed along the road "'Such few pedestrians as she met were poorly dressed men "'who carried tommy-cans and tools, "'and they were all walking at a great pace "'as if they feared they were late for somewhere. Three or four boys passed her running. "'One of these had a great lump of bread in his hand, "'and as he ran he tore pieces off the bread "'with his teeth and ate them. "'The streets looked cleaner than she had thought they could look, "'and the houses seemed very quiet and beautiful.' when she came near a policeman she looked at him keenly from a distance hoping and fearing that it might be her friend but she did not see him she had a sinking feeling at the thought that maybe he would be in the phoenix park that day looking for her and might indeed have been there for the past few days and the thought that he might be seeking for her unavailingly stabbed through her mind like a pain it did not seem right "'It was not in proportion that so big a man should seek for a mere woman "'and not find one instantly to hand. "'It was pitiful to think of the huge man looking on this side and on that, "'peering behind trees and through distances, "'and thinking that maybe he was forgotten or scorned. "'Mary make-believe almost wept at the idea "'that he should fancy she scorned him. "'She wondered how, under such circumstances, "'a small girl can comfort a big man.' one may fondle his hand but that is miserably inadequate she wished she was twice as big as he was so that she might lift him bodily to her breast and snuggle and hug him like a kitten so comprehensive an embrace alone could atone for the injury to a big man's feelings in about twenty minutes she reached mrs o'connor's house and knocked She had to knock half a dozen times before she was admitted, and on being admitted had a great deal of trouble explaining who she was and why her mother had not come, and that she was quite competent to undertake the work. She knew the person who opened the door for her was not Mrs. O'Connor, because she had not a hairy wart on her chin, nor had she buck teeth. After a little delay she was brought to the scullery and given a great pile of children's clothing to wash, and after starting this work, she was left to herself for a long time chapter eighteen it was a dark house the windows were all withered away behind stiff curtains and the light that laboured between these was chastened to the last degree of respectability the doors skulked behind heavy plush hangings the floors hid themselves decently under thick red and black carpets and the margins which were uncarpeted were disguised by beeswax so that no one knew that they were there at all the narrow hall was steeped in shadow for there two black velvet portieres, at distances of six feet apart depended from rods in the ceiling Similar paws flopped on each landing of the staircase, and no sound was heard in the house at all, except dim voices that droned from somewhere, muffled and sepulchral and bodiless. At ten o'clock, having finished the washing, Mary was visited by Mrs. O'Connor, whom she knew at once by the signs she had been warned of the lady subjected each article that had been washed to a particular scrutiny and with the shadowy gallop of a smile that dashed into and out of sight in an instant said they would do she then conducted mary to the kitchen and pointing to a cup of tea and two slices of bread invited her to breakfast and left her for six minutes when she reappeared with the suddenness of a marionette and directed her to wash her cup and saucer and then to wash the kitchen and these things also mary did she got weary very soon but not dispirited because there were many things to look at in the kitchen there were pots of various sizes and metals saucepans little and big jugs of all shapes and a regiment of tea-things were ranged on the dresser On the walls were hung great pot-lids, like the shields of barbarous warriors, which she had seen in a story-book. Under the kitchen table there was a row of boots, all wrinkled by usage, and each wearing a human and almost intelligent aspect. A well-wrinkled boot often has an appearance of mad humanity, which can chain and almost hypnotize the observer. As she lifted the boots out of her way, she named each by its face there was grubtoes sloucher thump thump Hoppet, twitter hideaway and fairy bell while she was working a young girl came into the kitchen and took up the boots called fairy bell mary just tossed a look at her as she entered and bent again to her washing then with an extreme perturbation she stole another look the girl was young and as trim as a sunny garden Her face was packed with laughter and freedom, like a young morning when tender rosy clouds sail in the sky. She walked with a light spring of happiness. Each step seemed the beginning of a dance, light and swift and certain. Mary knew her in a pang, and her bent face grew redder than the tiles she was scrubbing. Like lightning she knew her. Her brain swung in a clamor of, Where, where? and even in the question she had the answer for this was the girl she had seen going into the gaiety theatre swinging on the arm of her big policeman the girl said good morning to her in a kindly voice and mary with a swift frightened glance whispered back good morning then the girl went upstairs again and mary continued to scrub the floor "'When the kitchen was finished and inspected and approved of, she was instructed to wash out the front hall and set about the work at once. "'Get it done as quickly as you can,' said the mistress. "'I am expecting my nephew here soon, and he dislikes washing.' So Mary bent quickly to her work. She was not tired now. Her hands moved swiftly up and down the floor without effort. Indeed, her actions were almost mechanical.' the self that was thinking and probing seemed somehow apart from the body bending over the bucket and the hands that scrubbed and dipped and wrung she had finished about three-quarters of the hall when a couple of sharp raps came to the door mrs o'connor flew noiselessly up from the kitchen i knew she said bitterly that you would not be finished before he came dry that puddle at once so he can walk in and take the soap out of the way She stood with her hand on the door while Mary followed these directions. Then, when a couple of hasty movements had removed the surplus water, Mrs. O'Connor threw the bolt, and her nephew entered. Mary knew him on the doorstep, and her blood froze in terror and boiled again in shame. Mrs. O'Connor drew the big policeman inside and kissed him. "'I can't get these people to do things in time,' said she, they are that slow hang up your hat and coat and come into the parlour the policeman with his eyes fixed steadily on mary began to take off his coat his eyes his moustache all his face and figure seemed to be looking at her he was an enormous and terrifying interrogation he tapped his tough moustache and stepped over the bucket At the entrance to the parlor he stood again and hung his monstrous look on her. He seemed about to speak, but it was to Mrs. O'Connor his words went. How is everything, he said, and then the door closed behind him. Mary, with extraordinary slowness, knelt down again beside the bucket and began to scrub. She worked very deliberately, sometimes cleaning the same place two or three times. Now and again she sighed, but without any consciousness of trouble. These were sighs which did not seem to belong to her. She knew she was sighing, but could not exactly see how the dull sounds came from her lips when she had no desire to sigh, and did not make any conscious effort to do so. Her mind was an absolute blank. She could think of nothing but the bubbles which broke on the floor and in the bucket and the way the water squeezed down from the cloth there was something she could have thought about if she wanted to but she did not want to mrs o'connor came out in a few minutes inspected the hall and said it would do she paid mary her wages and told her to come again the next day and mary went home as she walked along she was very careful not to step on any of the lines on the pavement she walked between these and was distressed because these lines were not equally distant from each other so that she had to make unequal paces as she went